Hey everyone, this is That Guy in Hutch, Jason Probst, and you're listening to That Podcast in Hutch. This week we are talking about a, a really critical and a really timely issue in our community dealing with liquor laws and how it's affecting Sandhills Brewing, which is a great local business in our community. We brought in Jackson Swearer, who runs the Startup Hutch program here in town. So he works very closely with small businesses, and he seemed like a good fit to come in and talk about this and have this conversation about how sometimes regulations can and do affect local businesses. Uh, but we sit down, Pippin comes in, talks about what he's been dealing with and some of the conversations he's been having. And then I talk about some of the history and how we got to this place and, and what we might be able to do as a community or, or as a state to kind of address this. But it, it, it's a really interesting conversation, and I'll have a companion piece that, that I'll write that I'll send out with this that I'll try to get into the deeper history of, of how we got to this point with the 30% food sales requirement on a drinking establishment. It's actually quite interesting, but it also, uh, as you look into it, you start to see how complicated and difficult it can be. Now, in between the time that we sat down to record this podcast and the time that we published it, we got some bad news. We come in Tuesday night, the community came out in force. I was over at Sand Hills on Tuesday and there was a line out the door the entire evening and people spent uh, money on food like never before to try to help get Pippin and Sand Hills up over the hump to meet that 30% requirement. Wednesday, we found out there was a clerical error. Um, I'll explain this a little bit more in the writing, but basically, uh, the formula that we were, that that we had used or what we were basing everything on to calculate the thirty percent requirement was wrong, and Pippin still needs to sell about thirteen thousand dollars more in food over the next few days to be able to keep his license intact. So we're really hoping that everybody will come out as much as you can, spend as much as you can, buy the food here donate food. You can buy food in advance to donate to another organization or a group or however you want to do it. As long as the money comes through, as long as they get to count it as a food sale, it'll it'll count to their total and we can keep this really great business going and we can keep them active. Um, but so don't forget about that. You've got to, we've got to be very strong on this if we want to save this this brewery. But on this episode, we we when we recorded we were kind of under the impression that that you know we were going to keep going, but it's it's you know we 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 had met the goal and everything would be all right, and that's not the case. But I do think you'll enjoy this conversation. You'll get a little more insight into Pippin's mission and why he uh, established Sand Hills and why it's so important to him that we continue operating, and uh, and you'll get you'll just learn quite a bit about the business, and you'll learn quite a bit about the history of our local liquor laws and how we got there. So I hope you'll take a listen. I hope you'll keep coming down to Sand Hills and buying food and uh, get them over this, over this hurdle. And let's make sure we keep them running, keep them serving beer, keep them serving food, and keep them as a really good community space for all of us to enjoy. Thank you. This is Jackson Swearer, 
and this week, I'm going to be your host on that podcast in Hutch. But don't worry, Jason Probst is still here this week, and we're also bringing in Pippin Williamson from Sandales Brewing. We're going to be talking about what you may have heard about, this issue that Sandhills Brewing is having with their ABC license to be a drinking establishment, and a requirement that they sell enough food in order to keep that license. So I'm going to be talking to Pippin and Jason today about some of the background for that, what led to the current situation, and what has happened, and how this community has rallied around Sandhills. So to get us started, though, Jason, could you, well, first of all, I think you've both already been on the podcast before, but for listeners, can you just introduce yourselves so that they'll recognize our voices? Jason, can you say hi? Hi, this is Jason Probst. All right, and Pippin? Hi, this is Pippin Williamson. All right, perfect. There we go. Um, Jason, I'd love it if you could give listeners some background on uh, what the history of this law is and how people get drinking establishment licenses in the state of Kansas. Yeah, so it's, it's really a weird and interesting thing that has its roots all the way back in Kansas prohibition and I mean we held on to prohibition in Kansas longer than any other state in the Union and it wasn't until I think 1946 when we actually decided we'd get on board with uh, the rest of the country and and allow alcohol Um, but it wasn't until 1986 that we said we'd allow people to buy a glass of beer uh, on its own before that it was private clubs uh, and, and, and liquor stores were about all you could do So in 1986, there was a vote, each county, the constitution was changed to allow this vote to happen. And each county was allowed to decide for itself how to deal with this. So they could decide to be a dry county and have no liquor by the drink sales. They could decide to be a totally wet county and allow free for all alcohol. And, uh, or they could be a semi-dry county and that's what Reno County did. So that's how we ended up after a vote in 1986 uh, to allow liquor by the drink sales, but only if you combined it with food, and that's where we got the 30% requirement for food. Okay, so in Reno County, anyone who wants to sell uh, liquor by the drink is required to have 30% of their sales be from food. Are there any exceptions to this currently written into the law? Let's see, there's historically been an exception for uh, weak beer or 3.2% beer. So you, you used to have, and, and that's been affected because nobody wants, <laughs> nobody wants 3.2% beer. Um, but they, you, could set, you could have a drinking establishment that didn't have to meet that food requirement if it was only 3.2%. And the only other exception I've ever known of is the private club exception, and that um, you have to record members, you have to charge them a fee, you have to keep a record book of that, and you have to check memberships when people come in. It's a pretty, it goes one of two ways. It's either a really onerous practice for people who try to actually follow the law, or it's kind of not followed at all, and we just make the assumption that everyone's a member and no one's really policing that. Okay. So Pippin, I want to go to you now because I want to get this part of the conversation out of the way up front. You know, so you've made a choice to apply for a license to be a drinking establishment where you knew that this was a requirement. Um, talk to me a little bit about why you made that particular choice for your business and why it's important to your business, both for you personally and for your business model, that you not go the private club route. All right, so we, we chose to go ahead and open a drinking establishment in Reno County knowing that this food law existed and to operate a business that is at its core, not a restaurant. 
we decided that we felt that there was a pretty good chance that we could do sufficient food sales through pizzas and pretzels and bringing food trucks in from the beginning and hit that 30% or get close to it. Um, we also, by a lot of conversations with other people in the brewing industry and uh, people in or related to the ADC or the county or other various lawmakers had been given a very strong understanding that this law is something that is antiquated. It's still technically on the books, but it's very, very minimally enforced to the point where most of the counties and the people that uh, manage and operate and make rules within those counties are not actually even aware of the specifics of it. I can give you an example, which is that when we were first opening, we went around and looked into what it would take to change this law so that we didn't have to worry about it in the future. And I had to personally educate every single person that I talked to in the county and the city about what this law was. And I'm including county commissioners, city council members, mayors at the time, and other people involved in the county. No one knew the specifics of this law that we were being regulated by. So we were under a very strong suggestion that this rule would not be enforced strictly and that if it was, if it did come to a time where it was enforced, if we were in non-compliance, we had been told, including by people at the ABC, that what is likely to happen is you will be asked to submit a plan, you will be asked to talk to the county and get some kind of write-off from the county that says, yes, we we acknowledge that you're not in compliance and this is what you can do and this is what we want you to do, etc. Or we knew that another op option was that we would receive a fine of some kind. You know, at the end of the day, most regulations and most state agencies are in are encouraging businesses to operate. You know, we have businesses that get shut down because they don't pay their sales tax. But once you pay your back taxes, you can open back up. And we operated under a little bit of an assumption, but also with strong suggestions from lots of people that a food rule such as this would be very similar in that if we failed, if we did not hit compliance, there would be some form of penalty or punitive action that we would have to go with. And it turns out that that was not the case. Um, I just want to take a moment to pause um, for listeners. I think I uh, was the first offender here, but can someone say what the ABC is? Alcoholic Beverage Control. All right, great. Just so that we're all on the same page. So the ABC is the is the agency at the state that regulates um, alcohol sales broadly, and this is one of the areas that they regulate. Okay, so um, a little more pippin on the background here. When did you first get a drinking establishment license? 2018, October 18. Okay, so you have had this license for a while, and. How have your food sales been over the course of, of the, the time so far? We have never hit 30% food sales. Okay. So you, and how often do you have to renew that? Once every two years. Okay. And so we renewed our license in October of 2020, uh, October 2020. And we received it having reported less than 30% food sales. And we received it with no comment or mention of the non-compliance 
of any kind. Okay, so, so you were understandably pretty surprised when um, you submitted again uh, for renewal and then found out that there was an issue. Yes. Um, so talk me through that a little bit. So what was your, you know, so you submit for renewal and they come back and they say, no, this isn't accepted. What's your immediate reaction to that? Well, first of all, I think it's important for people to understand the timeline of which all of this happens. You know, we were aware of our food sales over the course of the year and how they weren't quite up to what the regulation wanted. But the renewal process for a liquor license doesn't actually happen until nearing the end of the term of the current license. So our license renewal was submitted, as far as the ABC is concerned, in a very, very timely manner on in, within the first week and a half of September. Uh, I believe it was about 35 days before our license expires, and they request that you submit it within 30 days of the expiration. So we submit our license renewal, and about five days go by. We don't hear anything. And then I receive a call from the ABC saying, hey, we are processing your license renewal, um, but you, you are aware that you need to sell 30% food. And I acknowledge that I was aware that that was a regulation and expressed that you know we have tried, we do our best to sell as much food as we can, but at the end of the day, I can't force people to buy food. We can, you know, we can suggest it and we can make it available, et cetera, but we tried and we didn't hit it. Let me know if I need to do something to you know make up for it or you know whatever is next. And that was the end of the conversation. And about three or four days later, we got an email from the ABC. Um, and now recognize that this is now something like the 15th of September. Um, and our license, our current license expires on October 18th. So around the 15th of September, I got an email that, that stated, uh, we need you to submit a plan for how you will increase food sales in the next 12 months. And it will be reviewed by the director. And then we will review in 12 months. Okay. That was so. So you're you submit your your information. They tell you that you need to do this thing, um, and you've got a timeline to do that. So how how long did it take you to turn around that plan? Then? Day and a half. All right. So pretty fast. Um, uh, wait, just as a aside, um, how are you able to do that so fast? We've been building contingency plans for four years because we knew that this was a possibility. We didn't think it would happen in the way that it, what it did. So when it became a reality, we already knew a number of different things that we could do immediately. And, and truthfully, we actually didn't have to come up with new ideas because we already had, uh, the plan included five items that we are going to immediately do. And I believe three of them, we were actually already in the process of doing. Um, one of those was finding an additional food option provided through a permanent, in-house food vendor that would provide uh, food every day that we are open um, and a full food menu. That is a conversation that started way back in March with this particular partner and uh, that was included. In it. And so this is not something that was new. We were already doing this. Okay. All right. So you're able to, to put together a plan really quickly and get that back um, to the ABC. And what was their response to, the, to that? Plan denied, and that was it. Okay, so 
that's not that helpful. Um, can I interject Jason, something yeah, here? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Can Jason hop back well, in here? Well, one thing on that I think is probably worth noting in in, in Pippin's statement is there. I I saw the plan he submitted, and your food sales were increasing pretty dramatically from year to year. I mean, seventy plus percent. Yeah, it wasn't. Year. It wasn't if you were kind of sitting on your hands just hoping things worked out. I mean, you had implemented these plans before you were actively selling more food. It just happens that when you're a really good beer brewer, you also happen to sell a lot of beer alongside the yes. food. All right, so is that so? That's that's right, Pippin. So your your food sales are increasing a lot year over year. That is correct, and uh, it actually turned out that in order to be compliant with our current alcohol sales, all we had to do was sell fifty three dollars per day in additional food to meet full compliance. Okay, so we didn't even have to increase that much. So they reject your plan, and now we're now we're trying to figure out what to do next. So, kind of for either one of you, what's you know, what are the next what are the next steps there? You know, you've got a business owner who's struggling. Jason, is that something that you can help with in your role, or, or you know, what are, what is the steps so, they could take in there? If I may, and I'd like to hand it over to Jason. Um, we found our ability to to do anything almost completely stonewalled. Because when we would, you know, we are, we're getting this information that the director of the ABC has denied our plan, but they've given us no feedback. They've given, they haven't given us anything of saying, well, you know, you're not, a, you didn't give enough details, or you don't have that, we need better projections, or anything like that. We got nothing. We were simply told, it's denied, and that's it. You can't have a liquor license. And then, but we couldn't get anything, anything any feedback from, from the director or anybody and so at that point, um, I had already involved Jason and a few others um, in this conversation, and we were trying to make a plan for what we're gonna do. Uh, and at that point, I basically asked Jason if, if he has a way through his um, position in the state to get in touch directly with the director and find out, okay, what do we have to do? Because they're not giving us anything. Okay, so now let's turn back to you, Jason, and let's talk a little bit specifically about this, and then I want to zoom out a little bit to the statewide. But um, so, were you able to make any progress there? What happened next? Well, I made some phone calls and had some conversations, but I was not happy with the progress that I was able to make. And to be fair, I mean, I, I do understand it's complicated. It's it's a combination of state law and 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 local law. And, uh, and and it involves the Constitution, so there's it's not there's not an easy fix to it. So I, I do appreciate that position, um, but yeah, I I called ABC and had several conversations uh, about what we need to do and what it would take for uh, Sand Hills to be able to get their license renewed. And and basically, what I was told that was that their their food sales were too far off the mark, and they they couldn't approve a plan even to, uh, to be corrective. Um, I. And so, so then we started. Then you know we had additional conversations, but uh, there has been some discretion deployed before in the past. Um, and uh, what ABC indicated was that if it's close, if it's within five percent, maybe of the thirty percent. Uh, the funny thing about that is that there is actually zero discretion in the administrative rule that governs this. It says thirty percent meet it, or you lose your license. Um, so it seemed a little onerous to me that we were kind of arbitrarily drawing a line and saying, well, we're actually going to violate the rule if it's within this, but we won't violate the rule here. And I, there was an analogy used about getting a ticket for speeding, and technically 
any of us can get a ticket for driving a mile over the speed limit. We don't often get that because it just doesn't make sense. And I kind of felt that was the, the case here as well. Right. Right. So you're not able to make uh, much progress there. Now, I want to spend a little bit of time thinking about um, what are, well, no, I'm going to come back to that question, Jason. I'm going to hold, hold that for a second um, because I want to finish the story here about Sand Hills and then, and then zoom out. Um, so Pippin, you're not, you're not making progress. Um, you bring in um, your local legislator to try to help with this government agency. He seems to be hitting a bit of a roadblock to at least getting some conversations to happen, which you can't do, but, but not making as much progress as you'd like. Um, so what led to the push uh, to make more food sales before the end of September? What, what generated that? So this is actually pretty great. Um, we, um, I was, truthfully, uh, yesterday was about the darkest day that I've ever had running this brewery because up until about two o'clock in the afternoon, it had become very apparent that we were going to lose our license and we were going to shut down. The business was going to be crippled and I was going to be forced to lay off at least half of my staff while the brewery operates on a lifeline as long as we can manage until somehow we can magically get this law changed or the license reinstated. And so that it was that way until about two in the afternoon, at which point I made a phone call to another friend in the brewing industry who is uh, tied into um, a Kansas Craft Brewers Guild that is much more familiar with the laws, has dealt with this type of issue before, and I just asked his opinion. And he asked me a couple of very key questions. Um, he, number one, he asked me, so what's the dollar amount that you're short? Like, if, if, How much were you actually short? About $14,500 in food sales. That's what we needed to have. Okay, and how long do you have to do it? Well, um, I guess if I had to, I could submit a new renewal for my license in the 1st of October, and I could report the previous 12 months, um, including the month of September. So yeah, we'd need to do 14,000 in food sales in 10 days. Actually, realizing like light bulb moment was like, oh my gosh, that actually might work because the issue that we ran into is that when you submit your license renewal, you are asked for 12 months of food sales. And it's the 12 months prior to your license submission. So we submitted originally September 2021 through August 2022, and that number was 18.7% of food. That's, that's where our percentage was. It needed to be 30. And to get to 30, we needed about $14,500. Well, we realized suddenly that we could pause our renewal application in some capacity or other, do a massive push to get food sales in the next 10 days, and if successful, we can resubmit our license in the month of October, allowing us to use the entire month of September and the 11 months before that in our food sales, and we can hit 30%. So the plan quickly came up with at 2.30 in the afternoon, before we opened in 30 minutes, was, okay, we're gonna sell $14,500 of food, which is about 70% of what we normally would sell in the entire year, because we're not a restaurant. We have 10 days to do it. Um, every single beer sale hurts us, because it, it brings the percentage further apart. Legally, we have to sell beer for greater than it costs to make. 
Okay, discount every single beer to a dollar. Every beer until the end of September is one dollar. Every size, doesn't matter, one dollar. I think we can do this. So we made a very quick, we, we made the plan. We wrote an email, about five minutes, a plea for help. Here's what we have to do. We sent it. And then we checked our food inventory in the brewery. <laughs> and uh, let's just put it this way, that we didn't have enough food in the building to do this, but we knew that, all right, we can go buy hundreds of hot dogs. We can go buy burgers. We have a grill on the patio. We can do all of these things. If the community will come out and support us, we can maybe do this. All right. So let's, let's try. All right. So um, I know this story has a happy conclusion, but I want to walk our way to it a little bit slowly. Um, how long did it take you to run out of pizza? <laughs> you know, I'll be honest that I, I, I don't know the exact answer to that. I was uh, in here about 5.30 last night when you came out and said, we can sell pizzas for future delivery, but not today. Yeah. So um, we opened at 3 o'clock, and our first customer actually walked, walked in the building at 2.59. And they had no idea what was happening. And so... We then, we put together a quick little flyer that we put on the bar. I sent out an email, et cetera. And at 3.45, this building had a line out the door because people saw it that fast and came out. And so we sold out of pizza that we could cook ten, that night within an hour and a half or two hours. Um, and we immediately worked with our pizza del delivery, um, our pizza vendor to get as many as we possibly can in the coming days so that we can go ahead and fill every single one of those orders and they will all be filled before the end of September. But all of those sales took place last night. Wow. We also sold a whole bunch of pretzels. We sold a lot of hot dogs. We sold a lot of bags of chips, some beef jerky, um, some granola bars, and a lot of other things. All right. So how much did you sell last night? $16,710. Wow. <laughs> That's wild. <laughs> It was, uh, um, it was something else. Well, um, I think that's a testament, uh, Pippin, to the community that you built in this space and to your mission uh, to be that kind of community space and what people knew what they stood to lose. Um, so I was going to ask you, what you why you thought that happened, but I figured I'd let you off the hook uh, <laughs> and say that for you. Um, so I think can I, I can I add something to it? Yeah, though? yeah, go for it. So one of the one of the things that kept coming up throughout these last couple of weeks of working with um, the various regulators um, and trying to get our liquor license is they kept coming back and saying, "Well, you can just relicense as a private club. You know, a private club doesn't have a food sale license requirement. You can still sell your beer. You just have to keep track of your memberships. You got to charge people. Um, you got to track them. You know, et cetera, et cetera. Here's all the different, different rules." And I told the team early on in this, early on being literally like five days ago, because uh, this is all happening very fast, mm -hmm. um, that I would not do it. I would not accept that as a solution because it wasn't a solution. Because we didn't build this brewery in order to be a bar that, you know, as a, a series of regulars and that's it. We didn't build this brewery to sell beer to liquor stores and bars. We built this brewery to be a community gathering space that has a mission a mission to treat people well, take care of our team, provide a space for people to come and gather, provide a give back to the community in as many ways as we can. And uh, uh, the short version is that private club license is incompatible with that mission. And so if we can't 
if we can't serve the mission that we set out when we built the brewery, then we're not, you know, we're not here to just be a hole in the wall bar where, you know, 50 regulars come and drink their weekly beers. That's not the mission. That's, that's an aspect of it, but private club was incompatible. And so what last night was, was an absolute resounding statement of agreement from our community mm -hmm. that that is what we are and that that is what they see us as. Absolutely. That was amazing. Yeah, that's pretty cool. So it sounds like you're mostly out of the woods, but not quite yet. You've still got to get through the rest of this month, make sure that the numbers stay up where they need to, still all hands on deck for the next nine days. Um, but you expect that if we can you know, keep this trend line, um, have good sales through the next nine days, then you'll be able to get the license. As of this morning, we have 30.67% food sales for the past 12 months. As long as that number stays above 30%, which we are doing everything we can to ensure that happens, it is our opinion that there is not an alternative other than the ABC issuing us our license. Yep. Yep. So Jason, Jason's nodding over there. Is that, that your interpretation of the law as well? That, that is absolutely my interpretation of the law. And they, they can't, they, they don't have a valid, they would not have a valid reason to deny it, uh, okay. it because he's, he's met the requirement. So, uh, congratulations, Hutch, uh, Henry, okay. Oh, yeah. uh, we came together and, and we did a good thing here. Um, again, still got to make sure we keep it up yeah. for the next yep. nine days. Yep. You're not very far over the margin. Nope. Um, it'd be better to be a little more over the margin. Our, our hope, if, yeah. I, if I may real quick, is to blast the margin out of the water. Yeah. So here's what we are doing in the next nine days. We will be operating food service every single day and we will be doing it beyond our normal capacity. We will have, whether it is food trucks, grill on the patio, smoked meats on the patio, other food vendors, there will be an, a, a serious food option every single day that we are open in Sand, at Sand Hills Brewing in Hutchinson for the next nine days. And we, because we are operating on this plan that was devised as of 2.30 p.m. yesterday, there are still some logistics to work out, so we don't know exactly what the food option is every single day, but that is our commitment. We have the next three days lined up and we have already shared what they are. Tonight we have a food truck. Tomorrow we have smoked meats on the patio. Friday, we have uh, barbecue chicken and steak sandwiches on the patio, uh, on our grill. And Saturday, we have just about figured out we're waiting for a confirmation. Sunday is to be determined. And then the next week is still to be determined. Okay. But cool. that's what we're offering. Great. And all beers are a dollar until the end of September. Right. So, but remember folks, if you're gonna come out and buy that dollar beer, do Pippin a favor and buy at least some food. All right, <laughs> there, there, there we go, right? Uh, to, to be fair, we are offering the caveat. Of, it's a dollar beer with food purchase. Oh, okay. any food purchase. Okay. Like any, any, any food purchase. Any food. Oh, good. So, even, so, even a granola bar. All right, very good. All right, so one, one granola bar, three beers, 50-50, you still ahead there. Um, <laughs> all right, very good. I want to take a little bit of a moment to say, all right, so we've addressed this immediate crisis for this business. What's next? for Reno County and for the state of Kansas possibly to try to keep this from happening to other places. Because I have to imagine, Pippin, that you cannot be the only microbrewery in the state of Kansas that suffers uh, from a challenge of needing to have enough food sales. So maybe uh, Jason or Pippin, I don't care who takes that question first, but what are some of your thoughts about what we ought to do next? I'll hop on this. Um, 
the the neg well it, it's a it's a multi-front war actually so locally what we have to do is get this get the reno county commission to put this agree to do a resolution to put this on the ballot and then one of the wrinkles in this whole thing is that if something in the constitution has been changed by voters it can only be changed again by voters and that's one of the issues that we have here so we need to get this on the ballot and the earliest we can do that would be november of 23 uh, but we need to get that on and we need to have a vote on it and we need to give reno county it, we haven't touched this issue it's just one of these things you the way people viewed beer in 1986 is far different than they view it in 2022. An interesting thing in this too is that in 1986 when the law was changed, there was not legislation that even enabled microbreweries. So at the time, a microbrewery couldn't exist in the state of Kansas. That wasn't until 1989. So in that time, we've had development of an entire industry that didn't exist the last time voters had a say on this. So it clearly is well past time for, for us to put it on the ballot and let voters have another say. But um, on the other front, that doesn't do anything for any other brewery in the state if they happen to be in a county that's semi-dry like Reno. So just to pause there, so here locally in Reno County, we could address this issue by having the county commission put the issue on, on the ballot. That would have to be, then be voted on by everybody. So we would have to make a collective choice whether we wanted to allow liquor by the drink without this food sales requirement. That's right. Okay. Um, so, uh, Pippin, any comments on that? Is that something that you you would strive for that you're hoping to push for in the oh, next absolutely. year? Oh, absolutely. And this is, this is actually what I tried to do uh, two years ago. I was going to ask that, Pippin. Is this, is, did you make any effort to do this earlier? Yeah, we, tr we, we tried. Uh, it was based about two and a half to three years ago to do exactly this. Um, and unfortunately, we did not succeed. Uh, and we did not succeed because we had some resistance from the then current county commissioners. Okay, so we got a, a new person or two on there and maybe a, this acute crisis will uh, lead to a little more willingness to make that change. So that's uh, that's an issue for, for some advocacy and for another day. Um, but, you know, listeners, if you agree uh, with that, then you might uh, give a shout to your county commissioner uh, and let them know that you'd like for to see this on the ballot in 2023. Um, Jason, is there anything else that um, the legislature might be able to do at a state level? You mentioned that this is in the Constitution. There may be some restrictions about what could even be possible. Uh, what, what, in your view, I know this is early days and you're still trying to research this, but what, what could be changed at a state level to address this? Well, you're, you're right, I'm, and I have people researching uh, a lot about this for me. Um, but immediately an immediate solution on this issue I think would be to change the 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 requirements for microbrewers so as I said they they weren't even enabled in 1986 we treat microbreweries just like any other drinking establishment when it, they they're actually quite different so in Pippin's case he has to have a microbrewer's license to produce beer and that allows him to sell for off-site consumption. So he can sell growlers, cans, bottles, but he can't, under that license, sell for anybody to drink here locally in the store. So then if he wants to do that, he has to have a drinking establishment license, which then has the 30% food requirement. And because of that, he has to have a food license so that he can sell food. And it's so 
the microbrew micro the way we treat microbreweries is pretty onerous. I mean, we, we we have three levels of licensing that are required for them to operate in the way Pippin's trying to operate. And by contrast, we don't have quite those requirements for wineries. Wineries can produce their wine, package their wine, sell it for on-site consumption, and then recently we just allowed them to sell microbrewery products or beer at the winery because there was a recognition that uh, not everybody, well, the, the, testi the testimony in Topeka was that uh, sometimes people like to go to a winery, but maybe their spouse doesn't like wine and they'd rather have beer, so they wanted to have an option for them. But wineries have a lot more flexibility, but that's because they're governed under the Department of Agriculture instead of uh, alcohol beverage control there's probably still some licensing requirements there, but they don't have these requirements in place. I think that, to me, this, one of the simplest solutions is just to go in and say, can we, can we change the requirements for microbreweries and can we loosen that a little bit because they are producing their own beer? Can we allow them to sell that both for off-site and on-site consumption? Yeah. What, what do you think about that, Pippin? Do you think that would address the issue for your industry? If we can successfully pass that, absolutely. Um, and what it, would, what it would really do that would just be phenomenal for our industry is that we would get rid of the piecemeal solution that we currently have, which is one county at a time, year after year after year, slowly addressing this. There are currently 63 counties in the state of Kansas that have the food law, and there are less than 25 that do not. And the number that do not, who have re repealed this food law, is growing, but it grows very slowly. Uh, I think maybe one to two counties every five to ten years. And so we're looking at decades of work before we can actually make Kansas an amicable state for microbreweries to operate in all counties. So if we can fix this at the state level that just applies to all counties, we have solved this issue decades faster than it will be otherwise. And we have done it for everybody at one time. And it will truthfully, with, with maybe the ex one of the exceptions being the day that microbreweries were allowed to make to be to operate in Kansas will actually be one of the greatest legislative changes that breweries have ever had in the state. Wow. At least breweries that operate tap rooms. Right. Right, right. So I think making that kind of change would clearly eliminate a regulatory burden on on a, a whole industry that we have here in the state. So there's certainly uh, that just by itself is probably an argument to do so. Um, what would you kind of offer as, you know, why would it make sense to do this for microbreweries? Is there some tourism-related reason uh, for that or something else um, that would justify uh, this change? Um, so we know that uh, you mentioned tourism, and I think that is actually a great example because across the country, since the, the microbrewery industry started gaining traction it, it, nationwide, breweries have represented massive influxes of tourism in all places that they operate. Um, there have been a huge number of economic studies that have looked at the social and economic impacts surrounding the areas that breweries open up in the years afterwards. And the results are stunning. And it's not just, it's not because, you know, breweries are this special, unique unicorn that magically fix things. That's, that's not even remotely it. But they are one of the many different types of businesses 
that are generally a very positive catalyst for change in, in areas, especially areas that are struggling with bringing in people from out of town or out of state, um, struggling with having enough traffic. There is a huge amount of economic improvement that has been able to be traced back to breweries due to not only the, the local dollars that are spent at breweries, but the amount of money they bring in from outside of the communities. So that right there is a huge, huge reason to do this. Um, and then I think the other is that, um, you know, it, uh, recognizing where an industry is unduly burdened due to regulations and, and can be significantly improved like that that's what legislators are for that's that's one of the major things that that are you know the reason that we have ways to change laws should happen and so if we recognize that this is this is the case absolutely we should do this jason anything you want to add on that yeah i mean t to me it's a really simple argument i mean it, it, it should is government here to regulate and restrict activity and business activity and and industries that are growing or are we here to create the guardrails and open up the space for these industries to grow and thrive? I think it's the I think it's the the latter. Um, I think if we recognize and we see and we have an example of how an industry is being adversely affected by a rule or a law that doesn't doesn't actually protect anyone from harm, and that and that is to me definitely the case here. I mean, it's like who. When I think about legislation, I'm like, who is being harmed? If we change this, is there harm being done? And in this case, people are being harmed because we don't change the law. If we don't address this, then, then businesses are being harmed and communities are being harmed because, as Pippin indicated, I mean, and we see it here all the time, this is, this is a third space for people. This is a place that people can come and meet. Um, they can have events here. Uh, they can make friends here, they can meet friends here, and that, that's such an important part of any community as we saw last night. But yeah, we, we've, we've got to look at regulation and say, are, are we impeding growth in an industry? And I would say definitely in this case we are. Okay. So we've got um, a local solution that we can do that, that we can eliminate this problem for people in Reno County that's being pursued. We've got some state legislation that's at least being researched and investigated. Maybe we can make a change at that level. Um, is there anything else that either one of you, uh, perhaps we can start with Pippin and then go to Jason, anything else that you would want listeners to know about this area, about the brewery, or, or about anything related to this topic? I think, um, I mean, there's, there's so many different ways that we can talk about this topic, but I think the thing that I would like to share is that what we saw last night and what happened for us at Sandhills Brewing over the course of the last 48 hours is a perfect testament to a community's ability to affect positive change and directly influence what they as the community members believe is valuable. I mean, Truthfully, what we did yesterday is we sent out an email that said, hey, um, we need a little help, um, here's why. Um, and this is now in your hands if you would like us to stay and if you believe that we are a valuable contribution to the community, if we are a valuable addition to the community. 
And they came out and voted resoundingly yes. And regardless of which industry we are going to talk about when it comes up to issues of this sort where community has a voice, like that is a good reminder, I think, that we as the community members absolutely have the ability to help shape, not only shape communities for the future, but also keep them the way that, um, you know, if there's things that we feel are super valuable, we can help protect them and we can keep them here. If there are changes that we need to see, we have the ability to do it. And last night that was proven to me so thoroughly. Awesome. Jason, any closing thoughts? Well, you know, um, everything Pippin said, and, and it was amazing to see what happened last night, and the, and the line was out the door all night. I mean, it, and it didn't end until uh, till the end of the night. I mean, it was, it was amazing to see. And the community has historically been very good about that. I mean, if they, there's something they care about and they support, they come out in mass to support it. But, you know, working in the state legislature, and I tell people all the time, I, I say this repeatedly, the least important vote you will ever take in your life is for president. You, the votes that you cast or don't cast for your state legislators, for your city council members, for your school board members, and for your county commissioners matter. And uh, it, you know, if you have a county commission that uh, won't put this on the ballot and change this locally, that matters. That has a direct impact on your life. Um, Voters in 1986 had the count, they had their say, and we're a generation removed from that, and it's time for another vote on this issue. Um, the easiest way to get that done is through a county resolution, and I think that we have a county commission that's largely supportive of that. Um, but votes matter, but n nothing matters as much as the people that you elect locally, and often that gets overlooked. Um, but this is a perfect example of how there's a direct tie between your life and the things in your life and the people and the elections that happen at the local level. Well, thank you both for coming on today and thank you, Jason, for letting me sit in this seat again so that you could be on the other side of the table and on the podcast to provide the important context about the state law and some of the other things that happened. Um, thank you as well for your advocacy for local businesses um, in your role. Pippin, thank you for everything that you do um, as the owner of Sand Hills and for providing this community space. I myself am a big fan beer mug number 14 uh, 41 here and 41 over there <laughs> um, so uh, you but and also for everything that you give back to the community as well which I know uh, is quite a lot more even than what everybody can see uh, just in what they do when they walk into the brewery so um, thank you both and thank you to the listeners and we hope that you'll uh, you learned a few things and uh, come out to Sand Hills and support them in the next nine days thank you so much thank you I'd like to thank a few of the people who have helped make that podcast and Hutch possible. My son Mitchell Probst wrote and recorded the music for the show. Jenny Brigette put together some great graphics and promotional art. And Chris Acker helps overcome my mistakes to produce a great sounding product every episode. That podcast and Hutch is made possible through a collaboration between the Hutchison Arts and Culture Collective and Salt City Sound. They're working to bring resources and infrastructure to support art, music, and storytelling in our community. If you have an idea for your own podcast, reach out to them at podcasts at saltcitysound.net. If you enjoy that podcast and Hutch, be sure to subscribe and share it with all your friends. You can also help support this production by subscribing to thatguyandhutch.substack.com 
or by emailing me at thatguyinhutch at gmail.com to learn about sponsorship opportunities. Thanks for listening, and I hope you'll join us again next week. Assault City Sound Production.